Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Michelle Leslie. And I'm Amy Spreeman. Thanks for joining us. Well, Michelle, October 31st is just a few weeks away, and you know what that means. That's right. It's Reformation Day. (laughs) More than 500 years ago, the Reformation movement was begun by Martin Luther Uh, in the 16th century, and I'm sure we all know about that. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Michelle, yes, that is true, but... Okay, many Christians don't even know what the Reformation was, let alone celebrate it. How sad is that? I think we need to do a program on the Reformation. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a really good idea. But Maybe so. instead, yeah, for many evangelicals, Halloween and the weeks leading up to October 31st is a huge celebration, especially and almost exclusively here in the United States. It's a multi-billion dollar celebration marked by witches and ghosts and goblins, candy and parties. So the question that we want to talk about tonight is, how should Christians navigate Halloween? Well, not all Christians take part in Halloween. Some, you know, have taken a step back to sort of rethink this tradition. You know, maybe they grew up with it and now they're they're wanting to think more biblically. And so they're giving it more thought. And, you know, maybe they've changed the way that they look at Halloween. You'll see folks today abstain from from the rituals, you know, because they want to be set apart from this event and its occultic origins in order to honor God in their lives. And then there are others who say that they honor God through Halloween by making it a Christian outreach, you know, a time to share the gospel with the lost. And then there are still other Christians uh, who say that we have the freedom in Christ to dress up in costumes, attend secular events or church-based festivals, and and take their children trick-or-treating. So with all these different options out there, we want to know what is the right thing to do and is there a biblical response to Halloween? And even if you don't take part, what happens when this tradition literally rings your doorbell once a year. Yeah, that's a great question. And as always, we want to dive into scripture and look into the origins of this tradition. And do you know what the Bible says about Halloween, Michelle? I'll give you a hint. Nothing. (laughs) None of the translations contain the words Halloween or All Hallows' Eve. That's because Halloween wasn't a pagan festival the Jews and early Christians recognized when the canon of scripture was uh, closed. However, there are several scripture verses that do tell us how to handle secular pagan traditions and occultic practices, and we're going to cover those in this episode. Right, Amy. So let's take a look first at where this tradition came from. So the name Halloween comes from all, the All Saints Day celebration of the early Christian church. And that was a day set aside for the solemn remembrance of the martyrs or those who were killed for their Christian faith. And All Saints Day is observed on November the 1st. All Hallows' Eve, which is October 31st, the evening before All Saints' Day, began the time of Christian remembrance. But even before the birth of Christ, the Celtic people of Europe, who were pagan druids, uh, they began celebrating their annual harvesting season as a time of death, not only for their crops, but also for the animals that they slaughtered for winter preparation. 
The Druids' three-day festival was called, I hope I'm pronouncing this right here, Sawween. Yep. From, uh, yeah, is that right? Okay, good. That is correct. From, <laughs> and they celebrated that. It was three days from October 31st to November the 2nd. And that paid homage to their belief that the curtain sort of dividing uh, the living from the dead was lifted to allow the spirits of the dead to walk among the living or ghosts haunting the earth. The imagery of, of death, which is symbolized by graveyards, skeletons, skulls, and the color black, that, you know, that has carried over to today and remains prominent in today's Halloween decorations and celebrations. Yeah, and it really is a stark contrast when you think about it to the life that we celebrate in Christ who beat death at the cross and in his resurrection. So notice that the Druids engaged in these occult practices um, such as and including divination and uh, communicating with their dead relatives or even demonic spirits, um, which, by the way, are one and the same. You can't really... uh, you know, talk to the departed dead, like in seances or anything like that, you're actually communicating with demonic spirits. So they believed spirits were earthbound until they received a proper send-off with treats. So if you're sensing a little familiarity there with Halloween, uh, yeah, treats. Spirits who were not suitably treated would trick those who had neglected them. True story. And that's just a brief, really high-level overview of some of the dark rituals that were practiced during the early Halloween festivals. So we're going to link a few of those historical documents about these pagan rituals so that you can see how trick-or-treat and uh, even bobbing for apples came from these Druid festivals. Halloween uh, really didn't become an American holiday until late in the 19th century. You know, you had uh, people coming over from Europe and while early immigrants may have believed the superstitious traditions, it was really kind of the, the mischievous aspects of the holiday that attracted younger generations, made it popular. Yeah, and, you know, of course, Hollywood has also capitalized on on this attraction by adding a wide assortment of fictional movies with, you know, vampires, werewolves, mummies, and all sorts of paranormal psychopaths, which have all become part of this beloved tradition. And I say beloved because people do love this stuff. Um, You'll notice all the scary movies and shows about the occult always seem to resurface the month of October leading up to Halloween. But even though, as Amy said, Halloween is not mentioned in Scripture, there are plenty of verses to consider as we make some decisions about what we're going to do regarding our participation in any Halloween events. So first, since there's no specific Bible verse that says thou shalt or shalt not participate in Halloween and its related activities, this is an area of Christian liberty that must be decided by each individual or each couple, you know, as parents on the basis of scriptural principles and prayer. Now, please understand, when I say things like Halloween and its related activities, understand I'm I'm basically talking about anything festive or celebratory that takes place on the evening of October October the 31st. That can range from going to a haunted house and dressing up like an axe murderer on one end of the spectrum to handing out tracks to trick-or-treaters who ring your doorbell or attending some sort of, you know, gospel-centered candy fest at your church. So it just runs the gamut. So 
if there are Halloween activities that are available to you that do not violate scriptural principles or your conscience or cause you to become a stumbling block to someone weaker in the faith, which might even be your spouse or child, then you're free to participate in those aspects of Halloween. So let's look at some scriptures and some principles, and there, there are seven key biblical references that we're going to look at. And these may be of help to you as you make your decision on whether or how to take part. So the first one is 1 Corinthians 10, 23, and that says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So something to think about with that verse is, is this thing that I want to participate in with Halloween, is it helpful? Does it build you up? Does it build your family up? Oh, very good. And, and you know, you can kind of look at some of those options that uh, Christians participate in and uh, actually kind of pick and choose the ones. You, you know that there are definitely some that aren't helpful at all. Right. Yeah. And the second verse we want to point you to is 1 Corinthians 10, verses 24 through 30. I'll read those here. It says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Okay, so Michelle, this verse really is uh, brings up a good question. Who is watching what your family does? Are you serving your neighbor and drawing him or her closer to Christ by the activities that you participate in? Something else to think about. Right. That is a really important thing to think about as as our witness, you know, and what people are are thinking when they see us. Well, here's our third verse to pray about is 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So when you're thinking about this activity that you might participate in, are you, will you be glorifying God by participating in it? Um, that's a good question to ask yourself. Right, right. And, you know, when you think about those, I, I'm thinking of some uh, scripture verses where you really need to know the word to understand what is it that glorifies that's God? Right. What is it that pleases him? And what are some of the things that he warns against? All right. Verse number four to consider Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So then you can ask yourself, does this activity for Halloween exemplify and cause you to think about the things that are pure and lovely, etc.? You know, fill in the blank. It's you got to really think about each thing you participate in and, again, who's watching. That's so true. Well, here's the fifth verse. This is Ephesians 5, 11 through 12. It says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So 
thinking along those lines is the activity you're considering, is it spiritually unfruitful? Is it a work of darkness? Is it shameful? Are you taking part in evil or are you exposing it? That's a so really that's good something question. to give a lot yeah. of consideration to. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, number six, we're going to the Old Testament, Isaiah 520. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So does this activity for Halloween celebrate, honor, or make make light of sin, evil, and darkness? And I think right now we're getting into uh, some of the more occultic practices that you might think about when you think of Halloween. And uh, you can definitely kind of pick out some of those that uh, that we as Americans do seem to elevate uh, as darkness. Yeah, we really need to think about that. I know one of the things that I'm always harping on when I teach and when I write a lot of times is that we don't celebrate the sin and the darkness and things like that, that nailed Jesus to the cross. We don't do that. That's not what Christians do. And so we really need to consider what it is that we're participating in and what it honors and glorifies. Does it honor and glorify God or does it honor and glorify evil? And so that's a really important thing to think about. So that verse is really, really good. And number seven is going to be 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 54b, second half of 54 through 55. And this is one of my favorite passages. You might not really think of it as a Halloween verse, but it's a great passage and it it is applicable here. And it says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Mm. Christ put death to death. So does the activity you're considering for Halloween glorify death? That's an important thing to think about. Well, it sure is, since most of it uh, in Halloween, most of the things about skeletons and graveyards and you know, the paranormal is actually glorifying death. And as we said before, we want to glorify Christ who is about life, you know, and and all of these verses, plus many more, we didn't talk about, you know, the ones in Deuteronomy that talk about sorcery and witchcraft. Um, These verses really drive home how we are to live our lives in the midst of worldly pleasures and philosophies, keeping in mind that this world is not our home. So if you're someone who does full-on death celebrating paranormal zombie blood Halloween, you might want to rethink these these things. And um, if, if you can think about Halloween in a new way, not a legalistic one, you might want to do that. Um, and if you think about it, there's really nothing evil about candy or costumes, most costumes, or trick-or-treating in the neighborhood, especially if it gives you a gospel opportunity with your neighbors. So here's here's an opinion that's, that's mine. You can take it or leave it. Um, you might want to consider if you're handing out candy, give them a great big candy bar, something really generous, and a tract. A really nice tract, not something that uh, something that uh, children would be afraid of, but something that they would embrace with the gospel in it. And say as they leave, God bless you. Don't insult their costumes if they're dressed like death eaters, of course. Don't scold them. Assume that they're lost. It's what lost people do. And if they are your neighbor's kids, if you're going to see them again, well, then you've got 
lots of time in the future to get to know them and to plant those seeds. And if you do Halloween with your kids, you're going to want to explain to them why their costume should not be death-themed and that their behavior doesn't dishonor the Lord of life. Again, this is one way it's, it's my thoughts, but you know, not necessarily the way you have to go on this issue. That's right. There's there's lots of different things that we can do to make right. uh, to make this evening an evening of sharing the gospel and and loving our neighbors and reaching out to our neighbors. You know, your church might want to put on some kind of evangelistic event uh, that has plenty of candy at it and things like that. And some churches love to do things like that. Um, I've heard of, of parents who take their kids trick-or-treating. You know, we always talk about giving out a track with the candy that you're handing out from your house, but some parents take their kids trick-or-treating and, you know, after the after the person hands the candy to their kid, their kid hands the person at the door that's a track. phenomenal. So I, I, think that's I love that idea. Yeah. <laughs> I know some parents who do that. They call it reverse trick-or-treating. <laughs> Of course, I don't know how reverse it is because they're still getting candy. (laughs) But anyway, you know, ultimately, Christian participation in Halloween, as long as you're not violating scripture, is a matter of conscience before God. Christian liberty means that we want to honor and imitate the Lord Jesus Christ in a watching world and without causing others to stumble. So if you abstain completely, that's great. But don't scold others who are choosing to honor God in their way. If you're looking down on solid brothers in Christ, for brothers and sisters in Christ, for deciding to do things differently than you do, guess what? you might be sinning by judging them unbiblically or being self-righteous. You know, you're sitting there mm-hmm. thinking that they're sinning, but you might be sinning yourself in your heart by the things that you're thinking about your brothers and sisters. So whatever level of Halloween participation you choose, do it in a way that honors God by keeping yourself separate from the world and by showing mercy to those who are lost. And if you can tell people about God's loving mercy at this time of the year, do it. Amen. You know, Michelle, Michelle, uh, I don't know about uh, Halloween down there in Louisiana, but uh, up here in Wisconsin, a lot of us live out in the country, and so we haven't had trick-or-treaters in many years. It's uh, Nobody comes up our driveway, but if we did, um, yeah, and, and we used to. We used to live elsewhere, but... Um, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's good to really honor the Lord in your way, in your conscience, and uh, and pray about it. You know, this might be the first year for some of our listeners to do things a little differently. So as we wrap up, we want to hear from you. So please leave your comments about Halloween in the comment section of this podcast post. And uh, by the way, next week, Michelle and I are going to talk about the dreaded V word, or voting. (laughs) So how can (laughs) Christians honor God in the upcoming very contentious uh, election season? So stay tuned for that. That's right. And if you'd like to catch up on our other podcast episodes, be sure to stop by our website at awordfitlyspoken.life. And that's where you can connect with us, um, watch for announcements. And if you're so inclined, you can help support and offset the costs of the podcast and website with your gifts through Patreon or PayPal. And thanks again, everyone. Until next time, love the Lord, imitate him in all you do, and walk worthy. Mm-hmm.